Good morning. Jesus has given two sacraments to his church, baptism. Baptism is a sign of uh, cleansing and initiation into the church. It's an initiatory rite to a certain extent. And of course the Lord's Supper, which is a sign of uh, sustenance, not cleansing, but sustenance, and and you might say uh, continuation uh, in the the faith. And, And for the next three Sundays... I want to speak on the topic of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I mentioned this months ago. I actually promised I would preach about it. Um, and uh, I'm trying to make good on that promise now, okay? And it, it may be surprising to some of you because we tend to think the Lord's Supper is fairly well known and fairly well understood. I would say it's more well known than understood. Um, yeah, everybody knows about the Lord's Supper. It's been around church for a while. But we may not know all the nuances of meaning, or, and I won't give you all of them, but uh, I think uh, that can be, it can be helpful. And I think it's important. Um, if you look at the history of the church, there are often a lot of fads in the church. There's some new seminar, uh, there's some new book, there's some new this, there's some new that. And, and, and some people get very like, oh, well, everybody's got to go to this seminar, everybody's got to read this book. I'm more of a Vince Lombardi type Christian. Uh, Coach Lombardi used to say, he who blocks and tackles best will win the game. Uh, and, and my view is he who understands best uh, and practices rightly the regular and routines and things in the church, uh, the, that's going to be the, the solid uh, church, the solid Christian, if you will. Now, many in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition will have heard the phrase, Um, worthy partakers. We are to be worthy partakers of the Lord's Supper. Um, And and some of us have been perplexed. What does that mean? Maybe more importantly, how can I be one? What practical steps can I take to be a worthy partaker such that the Lord's Supper is pleasing to Him and good for me? Uh, what's worthy partaking about? Is it about my moral condition? Is it about how I go about the Lord's Supper or something else? Well, I want to get clear on those things, I hope, today and the next two Sundays, okay? Um, but here's, what I, here's a, just a taste of the kind of thing I mean. Um, we talk uh, and sometimes call the Lord's Supper communion. With whom do we commune? Well, we commune with God, right? We commune with the Lord High God. Um, We we have fellowship with God, and that's true. The crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ, yes. But we commune with one another, do we not? It's also true that we who are many are one body because we partake of the one loaf. And so... In fellowshipping with Jesus, uh, when we partake of the one loaf, we fellowship with one another. And so, I want to focus then today on this question, uh, where should we look? Um, And uh, I got this title, or this idea, from a short article by J.I. Packer entitled, taking the Lord's Supper seriously, which I think we should do. And um, I have significantly amended and, and, and added to and altered uh, Dr. Packer's article. I, it's not a, 
if you read his article, listen to my sermon, you know, don't blame him for what I said. Um, but but uh, 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 his is just an article, and, and, and sermons are different things than articles. And so uh, let's pray, and then we're going to read 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 17, a very familiar passage, and, and read to the end of the chapter, and then look at uh, where to look during the Lord's Supper. Okay, let's pray. Father, help us. Fill us with your spirit, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, uh, the spirit that inspired these words. Lord, we ask you that that spirit will illuminate them to our understanding and apply them to our hearts and change our lives. That your word would be a hammer molding us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you'd use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Let me remind you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 at verse 17, uh, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this and remember to me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then... And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him come, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers will fade. This is God's word. It won't fade. It abides forever and forever. When you think about Christmas, you can think about Christmas in three phases. Before Christmas, during Christmas, after Christmas. Before Christmas, you make plans. 
you make preparations. Uh, you have anticipation. Uh, during Christmas, you, you have the event itself, the actual experience. Perhaps you worship, you read the scriptures and sing a Christmas carol at home. You have food, you have gifts, you have family, you have friends. And then after Christmas, perhaps you're in the recovery mode, uh, but you're also reflecting on, well, how did it go this year? What went not so well? What could we do better next year? So you lay a plan, you execute the plan, and then you, you, you review uh, what you did uh, in the whole thing. Well, the Lord's Supper, I think, can be thought of that way. Uh, there is what we do before the Lord's Supper when we prepare and when we anticipate. Uh, there's what we do during the actual experience of the Lord's Supper uh, when we, when we uh, take the bread and wine, when we're in a worship service. And then afterwards, uh, you might reflect on what happened. You might do that this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow morning or something. Well, this sermon this morning is about the middle of these three. It's not about the preparation and anticipation. And it's not the afterwards review of what we did and how did it go and did it impact me. But, but during the supper of the Lord, where should I look? What, what do I do in the actual experience of it at that time. And so I want to think about that under five headings. Don't get nervous. I think they go pretty quick. Um, and, and I'm going to use what you might think of as what's called a biblical theological order. Uh, it's not the order of the text, but I think it's helpful, and I think it's memorable. I think you'll forget most of the sermons I ever preach. You may remember this one five years from now. I won't come back and ask. Uh, but you may remember this one five or ten years from now because uh, of the way it's constructed, okay? So where to look during the Lord's Supper? First, look at yourself. Look at yourself in self-examination. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look at yourself in self-examination. The instruction is not to examine your family or friends, right? The instruction is not to think about their problems and sins. The instruction is not here for the elders to examine you. It says, examine yourselves. So I was uh, in Canada, Vancouver, visiting our son and daughter-in-law and two granddaughters once, and the younger one, Nora, and this, she was about three or four, and uh, we, I was sitting on a futon, she was there, and she got up and walked over to the bookshelf. She brought to me a book of nursery rhymes, and she said, read. <laughs> well, okay, that's what grandfathers are for, for, I think. So I read it and closed it, kind of thrilled I got to read a book of nursery rhymes to my granddaughter, and she said, again. Right? <laughs> Three or four year old. So I read it again and again. And I got reminded of things that I had been, you know, they were on remote parts of the hard drive. They were kind of back there somewhere, but I hadn't thought about them in a while. So little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I? But let me ask you a question. Are there any good boys? Is Jack Horner a good boy? No. No, not really. 
And little Miss Muffet, who sat on her tuffet, was not a good little girl. And the old woman who lived in the shoe, who had so many children, she didn't know what to do, was not good in the sight of God. Friends, first of all, look at yourself in self-examination. Look at the outside. Look at the outside. Look for the bad things you've done. Start with the Ten Commandments. If somebody said to me, Alan, what sins are you struggling with? I'd say, well, honestly, pretty much all of them. Let's go to the Ten Commandments. Let's look at what they say. Don't neglect Jesus' interpretation of the Ten Commandments in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. Look at the bad things you've done. Look at the good things you've left undone. God says to love Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Do you measure up to that? Nah, you really don't. God says love your neighbors yourself as yourself. It's a pretty high standard. Listen to the words you've spoken at work, at school, at home. Reflect on your actions and inactions, your treatment of others, especially in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look outside and look at, examine yourself. Look on the inside. Matthew 7, 5, 6 and 5 will lead you to that. Examine your heart desires. Examine your motives. Examine your attitude toward obedience. Do you take partial obedience as full obedience? Do you take a plum on your thumb as a sign you're a good boy? That is, when something good happens, you say, oh, well, I must be a good person. God's blessed me. Examine your attitude toward your disobedience. Do you say things like, well, boys will be boys. I'm only human. Or do you realize I'm a rebel against the living God? Examine your attitude toward the blessings of others. That's where it really shows the darkness of who we are. We can't tolerate other people being blessed very well. Look at how you've sinned against God, your holy creator, on whom you're totally dependent. Look how you've sinned against God's grace. He's your redeemer. We sang about that a minute ago. I marked it. I hope I can find it. Yeah, and this, um, God be merciful to me. I have sinned against thy grace. Sure. Sure, we sinned against grace. We sinned against blessing. We sinned against forgiveness. We've, we've, we sinned against all kinds of good things. Look, think about it. Examine yourself. T- repeatedly and terribly, we have transgressed the law of God. We are broken people in a broken world. And an honest self-examination is going to reveal that. Now, why do you need to start there? Why do you do that? Well, what is the basic requirement to eat? It's to have hunger. We're trying to stir up hunger for Jesus Christ. Now, here's a little caveat to this one. You look at yourself, but not too long. And the reason you don't look at yourself too long is the devil will try to discourage you and to make you despondent. All God wants out of that is that you would be undone in yourself and that you would hunger for Christ. Ed Welch wrote a little book 
uh, a small book about a big problem, Meditations on Anger, Patience, and Peace. Uh, if you've got a problem with anger or lack of patience or lack of peace, it's a small book. You, you've got time to read it. I, I recommend it. Here's what he says about this. Scripture cannot be reduced to a series of steps, but there are recurring features to its overall plan. Be humble before God. Name your wrongness to Him. Feel the weight of your sin. Name your wrongness to other people. Rest in faith in God and His forgiveness. Throughout, throughout it all, listen carefully, throughout it all you walk a fine line. You want to be undone, undone by the wrongness of your sin and... You want to rest in God's forgiveness. You want to confess murder and adultery and arrogant judgment and pride. And you want to know that your very confession is the work of God's Spirit in you and a consequence of His love. It is confession with a bit of a smile. Your confession is another way of saying, I need Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So we begin... By examining ourselves. That's the first way to look. Secondly, look back at Jesus. Look back at Jesus historically. Uh, look back at, at Jesus in thankful remembrance. Verses 24 and 25 both have the phrase, Do this in remembrance of me. Look back at His covenant commitment that He made to come and redeem a people for the glory of His Father. Look back at how he came as a humble servant. If you want to look really back, go all the way back to the Exodus and remember the Passover and how the New Testament says Jesus, our Passover, has been sacrificed. You can go back to other foreshadowings of Jesus in the Old Testament. You, you can look back at his life, sinless life substitutionary life. Why did Jesus live a sinless life? Well, he lived a sinless life to be an adequate sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, but he lived a sin sinless life because you and I were charged to live sinless lives. And his substitution was not just on the cross. His substitution was in his life. He obeyed for me and you and all who believe in him. Look back at his life. Look back at his death. Look back at the undeserved, willing, voluntary, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look back at those. And of course, body broken, blood shed. How could you forget that at the time? Look back at his resurrection, a real bodily Victorious resurrection, victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over, over the devil. Look back at his resurrection as a promissory note on the future. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and 1 Corinthians 6 and other places. God raised him, God will raise us. That's the promissory note. Look back at that. Look back at his ascension, glorious ascension. Royal, regal ascension. Look back at his covenant promises already fulfilled and some not yet fully fulfilled. And be moved by thankful remembrance as you look back. If we come to the table rightly, we will look back. So you look within first 
And second, you look back at Jesus. Thirdly, you look up at Jesus in faith and exaltation. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And this word participation is the word that that is translated uh, sometimes because it's a transliteration of the Greek. It's a koinonia-ing. So you could read this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a koinonia-ing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a koinonia-ing in the body of Christ? When you look up, you remember that in this sacrament, I'm actually having fellowship. I'm actually communing with the Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted, risen Lord Jesus Christ. And you look up in faith. And you think again about the promises and the offers and how he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, Come to me, all you who have perfected yourselves. He doesn't say, come to me, all you who've now made yourself good guys and acceptable in the sight of God. He says, come to me. Feel afresh the warmth of his love as his offer is made. Feel and remember and believe in his offer of forgiveness that he forgives repeat offenders. That's the struggle so many of us have. How can God forgive me when I've done it before and before and before? And he says, come unto me. Come unto me. Repeat us sinners, terrible sinners like you and me. He's up there. His arms are wide open. He says to uh, to us today, come to me. He knows what you've done. He says, come to me. He knows what you haven't done. He says, come to me. Come in faith, come in here, come and believe that in believing in Jesus you are declared not guilty in the sight of God, that your sins are forgiven past and present and future, that he's adopted you into his family and written to you into his will and given you his name, and he's given you the Holy Spirit as a down payment that he will come again and seal the deal and take you to be with himself forever and ever. That's what you look up and see and think that He's there interceding for you and longing for you to do well. This view that Jesus wants me to do bad so He can stomp on me or hit me, that is so perverted. That is so ungospel. It is so ungodly. It is so unscriptural. Don't believe that lie of the devil, brothers and sisters. Why doubt? Look up. Believe, as Dr. Packer says, Jesus is the true minister each time the supper is celebrated. We should think of the bread and wine as coming to us, not from Alan's hand, but from his hand, as his guarantee to us that in love he will continue to nourish us spiritually forever. Look up in faith. Look up and exalt him. He's in a resurrection body. He's now interceding after he's finished his work on earth. He sent the Spirit and worship. 
and embrace afresh the living Lord. What did I say? First, look within. Second, look back. Thirdly, look up. Fourthly, look forward. Look forward to what? Jesus' return. And look at that return in faith, in expectation, and in hope. Revelation 19 talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's Jesus and there's the bride of Jesus. Who's the bride of Jesus? The church. Who's the bride of Jesus? It's you and you and you and you and you. You're saying, Jesus is coming to marry me? Yep. Jesus is, it, I'm, a, I'm the bride of Christ? Well, you're a part. You're not the whole thing. Why would Jesus want to marry me? Why would Jesus want to embrace me? I'm wretched and poor and blind and naked. And in, the, in this marriage has a marriage supper. Revelation 19 verse 9, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You go all the way from the Passover in Exodus 12 to the Lord's Supper in the church to the marriage supper of the Lamb which begins and goes on forever and ever and ever. When you look forward, do it in the faith that He will come back to fulfill His promises. Do you think about Jesus coming back? You don't have to answer out loud. I believe that Christians in evangelical churches don't think much about the coming back of Jesus. I don't think it's an operative reality for most of us that he could come back this afternoon and nothing could be better than that. Many of us would say, well, now I've got a few plans I want to work out before he gets here. Really? You think that'd be better than his coming back? Oh, my. We don't think, I don't think, that very many people in the evangelical church think about the return of Jesus. He's going to come back to fulfill His promise. How's He going to come back? Visibly, bodily, unexpectedly, gloriously. At least those four things, visibly, bodily, unexpectedly, gloriously. He's going to come back to judge the living and the dead, to separate the sheep from the goats and take His people, the sheep, to be with Him forever. He's going to bless them forever. He's going to protect them and provide for them and be their God. He's going to dry their tears and He's going to make all things new and serve this eternal supper. Look within. Look back. Look up. Look forward. Fifthly, look around. Look around. Look around. Look around. Look around at the body of Christ. We commune with Him and we commune with one another. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so when we look around, I want you to look around at the church that's then present. Look around in this room. The problem at Corinth, and I'm going to say more about that. My sermon next Sunday is entitled The Problem at Corinth, was that they did not practice what they professed. Their problem was not creed. 
Their problem was conduct. It wasn't their profession, what they said. It was their practice where they got it in the ditch. They said the right things. They might have recited the creed from the heart, but their conduct denied the gospel that they professed. They did not wait for one another. They didn't share what they had with one another. Some had too little. Others had too much. Some got drunk. Some were uh, without anything to drink. They just, according to Paul here, despised the church and humiliated their brothers and sisters. But we don't look around. And the gospel corrects that kind of thinking. The gospel that we profess vertically, Lord, I love you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I know that I have nothing in my hands to bring. It's simply to the cross I cling. The gospel that we profess vertically, we got to practice horizontally, and that's what the church at Corinth was not doing. They did not let the gospel impact the relationships that they had with one another. What does that mean? They didn't realize that real sinners are the only people at the table. They didn't realize that. Hopeless sinners are the only people at the table. They didn't realize that the nobodies, to go back to the language of 1 Corinthians 1, they didn't realize that the nobodies have much of as much a place and right to come to the table as the somebodies. They didn't realize that money and education and social standing make absolutely no difference in the kingdom of God. And so they grouped off and said to the poor, tough, I'll eat mine, I'll drink mine. Make it the best you can. What does that mean to you and me? When you come to worship, who do you gravitate toward? Who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to sit with? My advice to people, I used to beat this drum pretty loudly back in Alabama. My advice to people is look for the people Jesus would look for when you come to worship. Well, who would Jesus look for? Well, I think Jesus would look for the lonely. I think he would look for the unattractive, the ones who are not well put together, the needy, the hurting, the notoriously sinful, people like fishermen, shepherds, the woman at the well, tax collectors, you know, that type. That's who he'd look for. That's who he'd go talk to. That's who he'd make a beeline to. I really believe that. Dr. Packer says, love of Lack of love and mutual disregard within the body of Christ are always an offense against Christ himself, the body's head and life, but never more than at the Lord's table. It's the preeminent symbol of Christian unity. If at the preeminent symbol of Christian unity, there is people segmented off and mistreated and neglected, I think Dr. Packer's right. It's never more a symbol of of offense to Christ than when that happens at the Lord's table. Another quote from Dr. Packer about this all. As we share in the supper, we should be asking ourselves and asking the Lord Jesus to show us what human needs we should devote ourselves to serving once our worship service is over. 
and we have scattered back into the wider world. We would mar our professed discipleship badly, turning it into formality, hypocrisy, and radical unreality, should we fail to reconsecrate ourselves at each communion service to serve the needy. For in that failure, we would be declining to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So, look around. Look at the round, around at the church that's present. Secondly, look at the church not present. The church militant, we call it. The church locally. The other churches here in Newburgh. The church globally, like we talk in today a lot about the church in Ukraine. Um, look around and feel fellowship and unity with them. And then thirdly, look at the church that has gone before us, the church triumphant. Look at the reward they have and the feast that we will share with them, the cloud of witnesses that's gone before us. So, I'll come back 10 years and ask you, okay, I'm kidding. Where to look? Look within, look back, look up, Look forward, look around. Easy, right? Easy. And I think you could flesh this out a lot more deeply because basically it's, it's a biblical theology. Biblical theology takes themes and traces them through time in studying the Bible. And, 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 and certainly the Lord's Supper begins with the Exodus at the Passover. Uh, and, and where does it lead? It leads right to the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. And we're just kind of, this is an interim meal. I mean, you've got to admit, it's not much meal, right? It's not much meal, you know? This isn't going to nourish you till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? This is just a foreshadowing, right? It's a symbol. It's a reminder. Look within. Look back. Look up. Look forward. Look around. You'll be blessed. God will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for teaching us from your word. And thank you that these themes that we've read about, many of them are more connected than we've realized. That this thing of your feeding your people actually begins in the garden. And it continued in the wilderness. And you're feeding us today. And you promised to feed your people in the future. Lord, um, teach us how to do this thing we call the Lord's Supper right. So that you're glorified. And so that we're blessed. We pray in Christ. Amen.